Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. John chapter 8. At dawn he appeared again, that means he had been there before, to the temple courts where the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught, everybody say caught, in adultery. Uh Uh-oh. Don't know how they caught her, but they did. So they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. How many know that he caught her in, they caught her in the act of it? Okay, come on, that's a, that's a pretty, uh, pretty embarrassing scene. I mean, there's some things you get caught doing and it's embarrassing. This is really embarrassing. Verse five, the law, in the law of Moses, the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. There were two people being accused. But Jesus bit down and started riding on the ground with his finger. And when they saw him, uh, with his, when, they, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, And at this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was left with the woman. What a beautiful picture. Jesus is the one left with the woman, still standing there. In verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you? Jesus declared to her. And then he says this. Don't forget this part of the story. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let's let's break down the scene. So Jesus in the temple teaching again. He's done this a lot in his in his career, his ministry career. Teaching in the temple. Jesus is a rabbi. Many people listen to him, respect him. The people that were currently in charge of the temple and its work did not like what Jesus was teaching uh, because they had uh, poor motives. And is, and so they break in. Jesus is teaching people, common people, probably some religious people here. And these, these rulers of the house break in with this woman. Now, she's probably half naked. She might have a blanket thrown over her. She might have very little clothing. She's here standing in front of Jesus, who everybody at this point in time has is pretty, got a pretty good handle on who Jesus is. Either they're rejecting what he says or they're embracing what he says. And she's caught in the act. Other words, they walked in on her having, a, having sex with a man that wasn't her husband. Right. Pretty embarrassing. Can you imagine the feelings of guilt and ridicule and shame? But the greatest thing that probably possessed her is fear 
Because according to the law of Moses, this woman was to be dragged out of the temple, dragged to a a place in the city or a scaffold, and people were to pick up these huge rocks and throw them at this woman, throw rocks at her until she died. This is what the law of Moses commands. So they asked Jesus, hey, teacher, since you've got this all figured out, what should we do with this woman? Now, they were accusing Jesus, right? They were trying to pin Jesus on something, making sure that he wouldn't go against what the law says. So Jesus stoops down and starts writing in the sand. Now, a lot of people have speculated, you know, what Jesus was doing when he was writing in the sand. Like, what's going on? Why is he doing this? And, and, and so they're like, what is he writing, right? It's like, ooh, Let's, let's know like the inside, like, ooh, what is the mystery of what Jesus, so they're like, some people would say, well, he's writing down the sins of the men that are standing there accusing the woman. Or maybe he's writing down the man's name who wasn't there, who should have been there. Maybe he's writing his name. Maybe he's writing the word forgiveness. I don't know. But don't miss what is in the text for what's not in the text, right? If God wanted you to know what was, what was being written there, um, then he would have put it in the scriptures. Amen. And so what was going on here? We do know this, that what this woman had done is, 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 is broken a law and not just a law that was like, you know, stole something from somebody. Actually, uh, Paul talks about sexual sins, how sex, sexual sins are a sin against our own body. So actually, I know that people will tell you all sins are the same. Scripture puts sexual sin in its own category. I mean, it's a big deal because sexual sin is a sin against your own body, right? Not just your body, but also you're including somebody in on the sexual sin. In fact, it's such a big sin that God put it in his top 10. Don't commit adultery. Well, what is adultery? I've never committed adultery. Adultery is this. Adultery is sex outside the covenant union of one man and one woman. Anything outside of God's covenant union, God's plan for marriage, any kind of sex outside of one man and one woman, anything outside of that context is adultery. So fornication, anything, right? Lust, all those things, sexual activity outside of that unit is adultery. Jesus said, if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. All the guys freak out. Right? So it's God's big deal. It's a big deal. So the penalty was that she would be stoned. They asked Jesus, what should you do? And Jesus starts rotting down on the sand, the sand in the temple. One of the questions that I have when I look at the story is, where's the man at? Where's, Where's the man? And if you know something about Judaism of the day, is that men were also to be stoned, uh, under the law of Moses, but actually in Judaism of the time, for the man, what they would do is they would actually drag him outside of the city and put him in a dung heap, two feet up to his knees, and dung is poop, for those of you that don't know, two feet of dung up to his knees, put a towel around his neck, and proceed to strangle him until he dies and falls in the dung heap. Very brutal for people. I mean, adultery was a big deal. Right, this would be very intolerant in America. We would probably have less adultery, um, but <laughs> and I'm not I'm not petitioning for this, by the way. 
Because Jesus, <laughs> Jesus responds differently. And this is, so what should we do? And Jesus says, all right, we can stone her. But whoever doesn't have sin in their life, you're going to get to throw the first rock. I, I, I think if, if it was in 2017, I think Jesus would post this on his social media. You guys seen this graphic before? We have that? We have that graphic there? Yeah, you guys seen that, right? It's like, hey, I don't know what sins you're doing, but you know that's none of my business, right? <laughs> Proceeds, goes back down, writes on the ground. Again, we don't know what he's writing. And then it says, one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, these men drop their stones and begin leaving until it's just Jesus and this very guilty, very broken, very sinful, very deserving of the punishment woman. Do we understand this? We look at this and say, poor woman, but the law says this. See, it's easy to make yourself a victim whenever you get pulled over for going 15 miles over the speed limit and accuse the cop for your crime. Well, the law was posted 70. You were going 90. He gave you a ticket and you're mad at the cop for that. You knew what the law was. So after they leave, Jesus addresses the woman. And he says this, woman, where are those that accuse you? Well, thanks, Jesus, because they're all gone. I got off the hook on this one. And he says, well, neither do I condemn you. I don't have any stones to throw. You know, what's interesting about Jesus is Jesus is really the only one that could throw stones. He's the only one that had no sin. He's the only one that could rightfully throw a stone at this woman according to the standard that he established. He was the only one that had a right, but he didn't throw a stone. He forgives the woman, cleanses her, and frees her up from her sin and from her life of sin. So Jesus provides freedom. I want to look at four areas that Jesus provides freedom from in the context of this encounter. The first thing that Jesus provides freedom from is in the area of accusation. Everybody say accusation. How many of you have ever been wrongfully accused of something? How many of you have been rightfully accused of something? How many of you have lied to cover up the thing that you were being accused of, right? Come on, I'm with you right there. Now, understand this about accusation. Accusation is a tool of the devil. Whether it's proper accusation or improper accusation, whether it's accurate or inaccurate. Check this out. Satan it says in uh, Revelation 12.10 that it, Scripture actually calls him this, the accuser of the brothers. Right. Accusers of the brethren. So you know what the devil does? He doesn't show up in your bedroom at the foot of your bed, you know, and try to scare you at night. That's not what the devil does. What the devil does is this. He stands in heaven before the throne of God and he goes, look. Look at what they're doing. Look at Leslie Brown. Look at how she's acting today. Look. Look at Brooke. She's not loving that person today. Look at Look at him. He looked at that woman lustfully, right? Look at Josh. Look at his prideful attitude. Look at, that's what the devil does. Night and day, he stands before God and he accuses us, the people of God. So whenever we 
get to where we feel it's our job to point fingers and accuse. We're not partnering with God. We're not helping God out because God already knows. We're actually partnering with the darkness. And then John chapter 8 says this, that he is the li- a liar and the father of lies. Lies, all lies, little white lies, big, dark, black lies. Satan is the father of lies. And let me just say this, because a lot of times when we start talking about accusation, we start talking about rulers, we start talking about, you know, people having this condemning attitude, many times we automatically revert to the church, don't we? We start thinking about church leaders that we've been hurt by or wounded by. And what we do is we say, see here, the church leaders, Jesus is talking to the church leaders because he's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Understand something? The Pharisees and Sadducees were not the church. They were religious leaders. They weren't the church. In America, don't equate the church with the religious leaders. You might associate them more with the media. I'll stop right there. Religion, listen, understand this. Religion is not owned by the church. It's not exclusive to, to the church, to people, to preachers. It's interesting how we can, we can justify accusing preachers before we justify accusing anybody else. Isn't it interesting how we feel so justified in our accusations about people? It frustrates me. So accusation is not a spirit of the church. It might be in the church, just like it's in the world. Are you with me? I mean, I'm glad that I'm trying to figure out a way to send it. How many are glad that there are issues in the church? Because that means that there are people that are trying to get their issues fixed, right? It's like, it's like the, the, the chubby guy, me going to the gym, right? It's like, I go to the gym. I might not be the best guy, best in shape guy in the gym, but I'm trying to get better. That's why I'm at the gym, right? So the reason why you're at church is because you know, you need to make some improvements, Right? So don't judge people and be like, well, you call yourself a Christian. Yeah, I need Jesus bad every single day because I'm jacked up. In fact, that's why we come to Jesus because we realize our need for him. So don't partner with accusation. Um, And get this also, they were also accusing Jesus. And it's interesting how Jesus and his church will take the brunt of many of the things that are happening in the world. And let me just say this while I'm on this topic. A lot of times, even prophetic things, God will, God will give a word, a prophetic word of something that's going to happen. Understand that many times prophetic things are something that's described by God, not necessarily prescribed by God. Okay? Um, natural disasters. Okay? Um, maybe this one. I don't know. But God comes and he speaks to a prophet or a certain, maybe speaks to you and says, listen, this is about to happen. That doesn't mean necessarily that it's God's heart for that to happen. He's describing it, not prescribing it. In fact, if you read throughout the Old Testament, most of the time God was giving these warnings, right? These descriptions of what's going to happen in order to get the people to make better decisions. So God isn't judging them. He's preventing judgment by speaking his word, right? So they were coming in, they were accusing, they were trying to find a way to accuse Jesus, the spirit of accusation. The, the problem with the spirit of accusation, first of all, is it does this. It, focused on, it focuses on individuals and not issues. Yeah, See, if you focus on a person's name to deal with an ideology, you have a bitterness problem. Wow. I, I read this thing. I, you know, I used to really get 
you know, when I was younger, it seems like as I get older, it's easier for me to be grace, gracious, probably because I realized that I need more grace. So it's easier for me to be graceful. And so what I used to do is I used to like call out preachers and stuff all the time. And then I got really convicted about doing that when I was preaching about preachers and God convicted me that he loves those preachers, even though they were off. And even though they had said some messed up things and what was happening is I was entering into a spirit of accusation and I was accusing them of the, and they probably, they probably don't give their tithes. You know, they're probably sleeping with, what is that? That's the spirit of accusation. Let me just say this, that sometimes it can even be a fact, what you're saying, but the spirit is a spirit of accusation. What these guys, understand something, that Jesus felt the same about the sin as these other people did. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. Jesus felt the same way about the sin that the religious leaders did. He hates the sin just as much as he, they did. The problem was, is they hated the person. So what you've got to learn to do, what we have got to learn to do is we've got to stop defining people by the things that we don't like in their life, by the things that we disagree, that we can disagree with their ideology and we deal with that exclusively, not individuals. In fact, you can deal with their ideology and never mention their name. The spirit of accusation always likes to have a name and a finger to point to. Individuals, not issues. The other thing that the spirit of accusation does is it labels and values people by their weakness, failures, and sins. What if you were defined by your weakness? And we feel like when people are um, significant in our culture, popular, that we have this right, all of a sudden, to call them by their sin. Isn't it interesting? So one of the things that I I learned to do, Bill Johnson said that he did this. He said that... um, that he had this like bitterness in his heart towards a certain individual. And he said that he would get a picture of them and look at that picture and just start praying for that person until he could sense God's pleasure over their life. Even like sinful people. And so I started doing like, like, like there was this preacher that I used to tackle a lot, which I quit doing that. Now, now it's crazy because I have like a fond affection for this person. I'm like, man, I love that guy. I love what he's doing. And I, I would, I would pull up this picture of him when I would see that picture and I would start practicing what Bill Johnson taught me. And I would look at that picture. I just pray for the Lord. They have such a platform. I pray God that you would just pour grace on them, that they experience your goodness. And I began to do that, start praying and loving for the person like Jesus told me to do, even though they were wrong whenever I did that, what happened is I started experiencing God's affections for them and it changed my heart. And if it changed them, I don't know. That's not my business. So what the father does through affirmation, we love that, right? Empowering our identity. So the enemy does through accusation. Okay. What I mean, what, what is the point? What I mean by that is this, is that the enemy will come and accuse you. Question you. Why? Because he's undermining your identity. See, you're not, you don't really love God. God might not even love you. Now he's accusing Jesus, right? Right. All this accusation. What God does is the opposite affirmation. You're my child. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You shouldn't look at that. You shouldn't talk like that. That's not who you are. So what God does through affirmation, the devil does through accusation. So make sure that you're partnering with the right spirit. So act, accusing, even accurately accusing, is partnership with the devil. 
The spirit of pointing fingers and labeling people by their weakness. Now, let me clarify this. I, I, I want to be very clear on this. There's nothing wrong with labeling wrong behaviors. There's nothing wrong with saying such and such is a sin. Nothing wrong with that. Okay? There's nothing wrong with dealing with mindsets and behaviors. One can be right in their assessment, yet wrong in their assertion. These guys were totally right. She was busted, red-handed with a man, naked. Busted. No question, they were in the act of adultery. Scary. Embarrassed. Their attitude towards her and Jesus' attitude was totally different. Yet Jesus still disagreed with the sin. This is proven by what he told the woman, go and sin no more. So Jesus vehemently disagreed with the sin. And all throughout scripture, he does. Um, And it's interesting that we want justice for the sins of others, but grace for our own. We've talked about that before. Um, We need to make sure you say, okay, so how do we deal with sin? Like I have a brother in the Lord. Should I just let him do whatever he wants to do and just affirm him through his stupidity? No. First of all, you need to have a relationship with that person because it doesn't do good to call sin out for someone that you don't have a connection with. Jesus didn't call sin out on people he didn't have a relationship with. He was usually doing it in front of them, not on Facebook. Just in case you didn't know, they didn't have that back then. We need to make sure that when we're dealing with sin, that we're tender, grace-filled, come on, compassionate when we recognize sin. Let's do it. Let's, let's be relational. That's why it says this in Ephesians 4.15. We speak the truth in love. So we still pe- speak the truth but we do it lovingly. And love doesn't look like this. I love you, but you're going to hell. I'm telling you because I love you. If you have to say, I love you, before you're going to say what you're going to say, it's probably a good indicator that you're not doing it lovingly. Right? It's like people will say, well, I'm not racist, but, well, you're about to make a racist statement. You'll speak, I, and I, I find myself, doing, listen, I love you, but, right? This is what it says, though. It says, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way to be more like Christ. To be more and more like Christ. Who wants, you want to be more like Jesus? Yes. We still speak the truth, but we do it in love. So accusation. Number two, the second thing that Jesus deals with is condemnation. Condemnation deals with the treatment of those that sin. Now, understand something. That Jesus wasn't dealing with, um, Jesus was dealing with literal stones here. Right? Yeah. We like to use this statement and say, oh, you know, oh, you, you didn't like my Facebook thing, so you're throwing stones at me. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> now, understand, first of all, quit being so sensitive. Okay? Jesus is talking about literal stones. This woman is about to die. Real die. Not just hurt her feelings today and has a bad week because of it. She's about to die physically. She's about to be killed for her sin. That's what condemnation is. So if someone says, I don't like what you're wearing, or do you like what I'm wearing today? You ask them, do you like what I'm wearing today? No, I don't. like. Why are you judging me? (laughs) Right? 
Quit being so sensitive. Understand, Jesus, now I understand sticks and stones break your bones. Yeah, yeah, we know all that. We know that that's not true. Sticks, words do harm. However, let, let's, let's be real. Stop being so sensitive. Okay? So a lot of the things that you're calling judgment and condemnation, get over yourself, all right? And I, I could go way into that. I'm just not going to today. Understand this about condemnation, okay? People can be hateful and ugly. But it's, our, but it's not people that condemn us. Get this. It's our sin that condemns us. So we can sit here and we can talk about, oh, poor woman, poor woman, poor woman. This woman was in sin. She had it coming. But how Jesus deals with the woman is totally different. See, in order to receive grace, you got to understand the magnitude of what you're about to receive grace for. <laughs> oh, Jesus died for you. Why did he die? Oh, because he loves me. Yeah, he does. But you, but you know why he had to die? Because you're a sinner. That's why he had to die. You're not a sinner anymore if you came to him. But it's because you weren't good enough for God. That's the gospel. The gospel is that you stand condemned already. What about God so loved the world? Let's look at it. For God so loved the world. They gave his, come on, come on. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. So in order to be saved, you got to realize that you need something to be saved from. You need to be saved from yourself. You need to be saved from your sin. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Without Christ, you're already condemned. Already. Well, they're such a bad person. So was I. So was I. But God sent his son, come on, to rescue me. Y'all okay? Again, Jesus, the only one left who had no sin, the only, the only one that had a right to throw a stone, according to the standard that he established, did not condemn this woman. Romans 8. You ready? Yeah. There is no, everybody say no, no. Condemnation. condemnation. How much? None. None to those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So in Christ, there's no condemnation. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin. What is the power of sin? Condemnation. Verse 3. The law of Moses was unable to save us. In this moment, Jesus, what does the law say? The law of Moses is unable to save. I can save, though. Because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared the end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that, that that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied in us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. You say, okay, I got it. I'm in Christ. No condemnation. I'm not going to hell, right? Because I'm in Christ. 
I've accepted what Jesus has done. Why do I still feel this way when I sin? Let's talk about that. What do we call that? Conviction. Now, this is the thing. Condemnation and conviction feel the same. They do. I just... And I always try to correct people when they come to me and they're like, man, I just felt the Lord making me guilty. Well, hold on. The Lord don't make you guilty. When the Lord addresses the sin in your life, it's an invitation for you to come closer. We call this conviction. Condemnation drives us away from God's presence. Guilt. Man, I remember when I first came to the Lord and I would like, you know, do something stupid, like go look at porn or, you know, do, do something ridiculous when I, when I first got saved. And I would remember like going in to worship and being like, I can't raise my hands. I can't, uh, I can't go closer to God. What was that? That was, that was me feeling condemnation from the devil. What I should have been doing is responding to the conviction of the moment and saying, God, I blew it this week. And you, because of Jesus, have cleansed me. You've made a way for me to be free and righteous just like Jesus. I accept what you've done. And instead, I lived years of my life after I came to the Lord with this thing called shame, which I'm going to address in a minute because I kept blowing it. Understanding that God still loved me in the midst of my sin, but whenever I felt that in my heart going, look at this, it was God going, bring it to me. Let's deal with it. Let's finish it. And the devil was going, you're not worthy of God's love. That's the difference. So understand, condemnation and conviction, they might feel the same. But how are you going to respond to how you're feeling about your sin? You can call it whatever you, you can label it whatever you want. Understand, God is not pushing you away when you sin. He is going, come on, come to me, come to me. Don't, no, 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 don't stay away. Come closer. I want you close to me. And that little thing, let's, let's deal with that. You see that? Yeah, let's get rid of that. Come on. And understand this, that your sin is a big deal to you. And, and, and listen, sin is a big deal, but it's really not that big of a deal to God because he already dealt with it. You know, have you ever like, those of you that are married, ever like do something stupid, like say something to your spouse and you, and you think about it later and it kind of, it doesn't set well with you. And you, and you go to them and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry I did that. I, I feel so bad. Or you've done that to a friend or whatever. And they're like, oh, okay. No, it's not a big deal. It didn't really bother me. Yeah. I think that's the way the Lord is whenever we've done something stupid. I don't, listen, God doesn't wink at sin. Let's just be real. God, God looks at sin like you need to stop sinning. And sometimes if you don't stop, he will, he will smack you. It's very scriptural. God will, God will spank your butt. And it, it says that he'll spank your butt. <laughs> Scripture talks about that. And so read Hebrews. God will, listen, God will correct you. Yeah. Come on. But he's not going to, he's not going to be like, you sinned, have some sickness. Right. <laughs> Man, I, you know, I've had this sin in my life and I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm kind of scared. <laughs> Looked at porn, Cancer. That's the devil. Sickness is from the devil. Destruction. Listen, let me help you. John 10, 10. I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Before that, he says, the enemy, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So if it involves taking, stealing, killing, or destroying you, destroying your life, devil ministry. 
If it's life and life more abundantly, Jesus' ministry. Understand that. All right. But he will spank you butt. He'll be like, no, you stop that. Just like I'll bust my kids butt because I love them. Number three. (laughs) Accusation, condemnation. Number three, shame. See, shame is an identity issue. And this is where where it had me for a lot of years. Because I would go into worship, I would go into a setting, I would go in my prayer time. Sometimes it would keep me from my prayer time because I didn't feel, feel worthy enough to go in. Anybody with me? Yeah. You like sin big time, so you're like, man, I can't pray. I mean, like I sin. Well, get before the Lord, and it says this in, in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what you do is you say, God, I blew it again today. And he's like, I know, you do it every, you, don't, you do something stupid every day. Right. But I still love you, and I'm still here waiting. It's like when Adam went, when God showed up in the garden, he still showed up to the garden. Adam was the one that was hiding. So God still showed up. Even when you're in shame and you're hiding, and that's where Adam was. He was naked. He was like, God was like, Adam, where are you at? And he's like, I was hiding. Why are you hiding? Because I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? Oh. But I'm still here. And understand that God still shows up in your garden. He still shows up and he still wants to meet with you. But shame is an identity issue. It labels you a sinner. You go around, well, I'm just a sinner. I'm just defined by my failures. I'm defined by the sin that I committed today. You are not defined by your sin. You're defined by the cross. You're defined by the resurrection. You're a Christian, not a sinner. Sinner's sin. And you're probably going to sin today when you're watching the Cowboy game. Not because you're watching the Cowboy game, but how you'll respond when something doesn't go your way. Maybe because you're watching the game. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm just being serious. All right. Get this. We are all a work in progress. So you need to find your confidence and start believing in what Jesus says about you, that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that you're the head and not the tail, that you're above and not beneath, that you're blessed coming in and going out. You belong to God. You're his beloved. God loves you. Will you get this? It's like sometimes I want to shake people like with passion and be like, God loves you. I'm just so stupid, and I make God love. God is in love with you. He is in love with you madly. So much, He loved you so much that He gave His very best to have you. Yes. It's unending. Yes. So Jesus, what does He call this woman? Does He call? Does he say, "Listen, sinner, <laughs> harlot"? Right. I thought of. I was running my words by Leslie yesterday to make sure I used proper words that wouldn't offend people. And Thank you, baby. He didn't call her a home wrecker. Come on, which is the reason why God has a problem with adultery is because adultery destroys family. It destroys the core of what our culture is. He didn't call her a home wrecker. He didn't call her a reprobate. He didn't even call her a sinner. You know what he called her? He called her woman. Not like you and I would say, Woman? But Jesus called her woman like he called his mother in John chapter 2, whenever Jesus refers to his mom and he says, mother, what have I to do with you? And sometimes I've joked around with Leslie, like we're kind of be playing. I'll be like, woman, what have I to do with you? You know, and just kind of being, you know, funny or whatever. But it wasn't an insulting thing. I know that you live in 2017. It wasn't an insulting thing to call a woman, woman. It was actually an endearing thing. First of all, first of all, you weren't really supposed to talk to women if you were a Jew in that time. 
So when Jesus calls her woman, it was like he was going, ma'am. So he says, after all the people leave, he goes, ma'am. Where are your accusers? Well, they all left. Aren't they going to condemn you? They're gone. Neither do I condemn you. And there's only one person that has ever walked the earth that was able to forgive sin. And he's looking at this woman and he's saying, neither do I condemn you. It's like he was looking at this woman and he said, shame off you. Shame off you. Whereas the religious leaders, the accusers, the condemners wanted to put shame on her. Jesus removed the shame. And the fourth thing that Jesus wants to do is he don't want to just get rid of your accusers, the accusation, the spirit of accusation, the condemnation, the shame. He actually wants to get rid of the sin. Amen. Go and sin no more. Not just forgiveness. We love that, but freedom. We violate our purity when we enter into sin again. Would, would Jesus stop loving her if she would have went and committed adultery again? No. In fact, I think he would have the same conversation if she did it and the same scenario was brought, brought in the next day and the next day and the next day. I believe right. Jesus would say the same thing. Right. But what happens is when we sin, we violate our purity. Yes. Okay. You're still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but you have violated your holiness. You've violated your purity. So what happens when we sin, we are haunted. We are haunted by accusation, condemnation, and shame when we sin. So the reason why you experience shame, condemnation, and accusation is because you've sinned. So the way to get free from that is to not sin. You want to not feel, feel bad about the sin that you've committed? Then don't sin. Well, I just so feel, feel so bad about it. It's good that you feel bad about it, but what are you going to do about the feeling? Come to Jesus. I, uh, I know it's getting late. Listen, y'all, y'all like chalkboards? I know it's kind of old school. Listen, you know, your sin, right? Let's, let's do big ones like gossip because that's a big sin. Let's do, uh, Let's do, I'm trying to think of a, let's do sex. Sex isn't a sin. It's just it, it, in the right context. What is? Y'all, y'all know the back, huh? Lying. Right? Stealing. Right? Rage. Okay, sin. And so what we do is this. And what shame does and condemnation does is it goes, look at what you did. I can tell you erased it. Look at your hand. I still see it. Look at you, sinner. Right? That's what the enemy does. He just points. Look, I can see. I can see. You just try to cover it up. But see, Jesus doesn't just give you a clean slate. He doesn't just do this, you know. 
which is awesome. We think he does that. He actually goes and finds a new board and just gives us a new board. He doesn't give you a clean slate. He gives you a new slate. Come on. But shame, and you guys know how it is whenever it's been on there and you've erased it, but you can still see it. You can go out there and look at the chalkboard in the, in the lobby and see that where there's been old things on there. The enemy will always put, point to those things that you've been forgiven of. So how do we walk in freedom? Two things. We're done. We're out of here. How do we walk in freedom? Number one, by focus. You walk in freedom by focus. Not on the focus of your sins or the sins of others, nor the sins of the past, but by your focusing on Jesus. Psalm 34, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered in shame. How often? Never. Focus. That word radiant in the Greek is like the the water when it hits, or, or the sun when it hits water and the rippling effect. It just shoots that light everywhere. That's how your face looks if you look at Jesus. Stop looking at your sin. Look to Jesus. Listen, you want to know how to continue in sin? Focus on your sin. I'm just focusing on my weakness. Don't focus on your weakness. Focus on him. The second way, how do you focus on him? By fellowshipping with him. You want to walk in freedom? It's a focus issue and it's a fellowship issue. 1 John 2.28, dear children, I love this, dear children, hey kids, remain in fellowship with Christ. Remain in fellowship with him so that when he returns, you'll be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. That you will not shrink back in shame. How? By remaining in fellowship. See, the enemy's desire for when we sin, and our problem is this, is that even if we don't sin, we get hung up on the sins of others. Oh, don't we? Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, you're not as righteous as Jesus either. So let's come to the cross. There's a level playing field at the foot of the cross. So I don't know where you're at today. but I know that Jesus has the power to break any addiction. And I know that he can do it in this moment today. No matter how small or how big it is, no matter how big it is to you or how small it is to you, Jesus can break it. He can break off attitudes. He can break off bitterness right here in this moment. But listen, I'm not talking just about forgiveness. I'm talking about freedom, freedom from it, freedom from it. Not like grind your teeth. Ah, just trying so hard not to do it. I'm trying so hard not to do it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about freedom. I'm talking about God breaking off 30-year addictions and then you're, you go buy it and you're not even tempted. Freedom. Freedom.